of them have had that time when they were in debt. They've all had that time where it seemed like the hole was so deep that all you could see was the sides of the hole. From Money Fit by DRS, it's the Money Fit Show, your weekly podcast about real difficult money stories, overcoming financial obstacles, and tips for building healthy money habits. I'm Todd Christensen, host of the Money Fit Show podcast, and on today's episode, I speak with someone who epitomizes the idea of asking the right questions, not just looking for the right answers. You're going to want to hear his stories. You got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you? E.A. Sokovitz was born and raised the son of a milkman. At age 16, he started his business career as a commission sales job selling janitorial services to business owners. Three years later, at the age of 19, EA met Sam Robbins, a millionaire businessman, and uh, soon began working for Sam at the House of Holland Jewelers in the diamond business. In 1980, Sam established a private grant uh, meant to be part of his legacy due to his uh, lifelong fight with diabetes. And as a result, Sam and EA began to formulate heart healthy and wellness nutritional foods and drinks. And over the next 45 plus years, EA Sokovitz was blessed with honestly too many business and personal achievements for us to note in today's show. So I'm just going to say EA Sokovitz, welcome to the Money Fit Show. Todd, thank you so much for having me on your great show and I look forward to sharing with your listeners. Thank you. As do I. Uh, that uh, Honestly, that, that list, it goes on and on and on. So uh, I'm excited to talk about some of the different things you've experienced throughout your career, before your career, and so forth. But uh, to begin with, I got a question for you. Uh, one of the standard questions I ask of all my guests, uh, did you always want to run your own business? Yes. Yes, yeah. I did. And and uh, if, if I can expand on that answer, yeah. uh, because, because part of it was... <clears throat> I live in Michigan now, but I was born and raised in the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. And my father was a milkman. And right. back then, you know, milk came in glass gallons and there mm-hmm. was a box outside everyone's house that was called the milkman box, right? Right. And you know, the amazing thing, Todd, is there was always money in the milkman box and no one, not one time ever touched it. Different yeah. times, different times, right? But the, the thing that was interesting to me is that at a young age, and I would help my father, I was five years old, helping him on the milk route, and he'd get up, at, I'd watch him get up at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And back then, the delivery trucks, my father had his own little delivery truck. Uh, what, none of the delivery trucks were refrigerated, only the big 18-wheelers were. So right. they had to go, literally go break up their own ice. So at three in the morning, my father would get up and with his big, huge ice pick, and I'd go with him and watch him take down these six foot high, literally six foot high slabs of ice and break them down with an ice pick and then put them on top of the milk to keep the milk chilled while he was huh. delivering it all day. Wow. And the thing that I remember most was since I was you know, so young at that time, I sort of lived having your own business because my father, you know, I mean, he didn't have anyone telling him get up at three in the morning. There wasn't right. anyone saying, you know, be at the office at a certain time. And, and he was accountable only to himself because it was his own route, if you will. He was yep. you know, a distributor basically for Twin Oaks Dairy. And, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and he had his own route and kept his own book, if you will, and made little notes with all the customers. And so I, I sort of lived that, I guess. So I guess the answer was, I thought almost everyone lived that same way because <laughs> I didn't natural to you. I didn't know anything different. I, you know, I lived it every single day and uh, and sort of, I guess, lived the, for lack of a better term, I'll say st- self-starter kind of mentality. Yeah. You, know, you know, my dad did what he needed to do. In fact, right. he used to say that when we were on the route every day, he would say, uh, or the days I was with him, he would say, uh, well, when we're done, we're done. And, and basically what he was saying was, the sooner we get done with whatever we need to get done, then we can do the other things we want to do. Right. And uh, so that was, you know, at a very young, impressionable age, if you will. And uh, um, so I guess to answer your question, yeah, um, you know, because I should warn your listeners, I never say anything in 10 minutes if I can say it in 20, uh, <laughs> that, the, uh, uh, that I lived that. So I didn't know there was another really even option. I didn't have anything to relate to at an early age on what it was like to not have your own business because I thought that's what everyone did. Right. Yeah. I was actually, I just, uh, with my son in, uh, in Boston, um, and we were walking down from Bunker Hill, um, uh, back down to the, the, the wharf and went by a couple of houses that still had some milk, uh, milkman boxes out in front. And I thought, I wonder if that's, if they're still doing that. I think it's still, a, I believe it's still a thing. Some people like to have that fresh milk delivered. So yeah. still out there. Well, and, and, and it almost sort of came back, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, what are the, you know, how does it go? Uh, that which has been done is that which shall be done. There's no uh, new thing under the sun. And, you know, and, and so, you know, we, what do we say? Don't we see food being delivered at home again? And, and, and <laughs> years true. ago, that's what it was, you know, so, so many times it comes back relabeled, repackaged. It may look a little different, but it's the same thing coming back again. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, yeah. I, I find memories of that time period for sure. That's cool. That's cool. That would take you on on the routes like that now you 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 referred to kind of one and 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 the money in the in the in the boxes um but could could you tell me or or share with our listeners some maybe early um memories surrounding money that that you might have had for sure um when i was 16 i became a janitor and Mm -hmm. uh and then uh also for a couple hours a day would go out and you know solicit companies i guess and basically which really accounted to you know handing out brochures at door-to-door in industrial parks Mm -hmm. and uh i at 16 i was able to be bonded uh which means insured so if my buffer when i was cleaning the place hit a piece of equipment insurance company paid for it that allowed me to be in expensive places as well and uh and also expensive homes and I cleaned the home of a lady who, when I say her name, it won't mean anything to your listeners until I make the movie reference. There was a movie out a few years back. It'll be out for a good number of years because actually it's a pretty good view. Mm-hmm. The name of the movie is called The Founder. Uh, it's about McDonald's and Ray Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Did you get a chance to catch it by any chance, the movie? Uh, we we watched it to last last summer. I believe oh, okay. It was, okay. Or, well, yeah. Uh, and and I want to say at the beginning, I lived there. I lived in Oakbrook, so uh-huh. the world headquarters of McDonald's for decades and decades. It's not there now, but it was for yeah. literally decades. Um, I lived in that area, so the whole McDonald's phenomenon happened in my life. In fact, in the movie, they talk about McDonald's number one, and uh, you know that, that Ray sort of identifies his first franchises. That and we drove by that McDonald's in Des Plaines hundreds of times because it was the end of the milk route. You know, uh-huh. so so I, I lived the whole experience. And then in the movie, uh, and by the way, Ray Kroc was not 
was not the way he's portrayed in the movie. That's all Hollywood spin, you know, corporate bad guy. You got to make some conflict. Got to have conflict and drama. In the beginning, it says based on a true story. And that's true. It's based on one, but it's not the true story. So in the movie, Michael Keaton playing Rick Kroc constantly talks to a lady outside his office. And she's in the whole movie. That lady is June Martino. That lady is the lady whose house I cleaned every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And when I met her, she had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. And why did that impact me and my financial references, if you will? Up until meeting her, I don't know where this came from, Todd. I had an erroneous concept in my mind. Mm-hmm. I thought that in order to be rich, you had to be a jerk. <laughs> you know, okay. you, you had to be me only, self-oriented. I don't care about anyone else. Slap the next person financially if you need to and take whatever you can. And, and you know, and and I don't know where that even came from. But oh, that was still around. That is definitely still. A, a that trend. was my thought. Yeah. That was the way, you know, and then I meet this lady, June Martino, and I was astonished how she was the opposite. And here she is. She has the third most controlling stock in McDonald's when I meet her. Rolls Royce in the garage, mm-hmm. you know, full-time maid, full-time butler. I'm cleaning this. I'm doing the heavy lifting, really, the, the maiden butler did the lighter stuff. But um, it, And here I am in this million-dollar mansion back then, right, mm-hmm. when I was 16. And I'm watching this woman. I'm thinking, what the heck is this all about? She's the opposite of what I thought. She's never condescending to anyone. Uh, And if I'm buffing the floor and she walks through the room, because I was in there every Wednesday, she knew who I was. If if I was looking down, watching the buffer and she walked through the room, she'd say hello, even if I didn't look up. I mean, so approachable, so nice. And that was a curiosity for me. I thought, man, what's the deal with this? Because this is so the opposite of what I thought people were. And then one day I got up enough nerve and I asked her about McDonald's. She took me in the kitchen, was there the entire day. Really? Told me the entire story. And I kept looking around thinking, who in the world is she talking to? Because there's a son of a milkman, burnt out, snot no 16-year-old janitor. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I'm already at 16 years old. I'm already burnt out as a janitor, right? You know, I, I think the fun time is getting free songs on a jukebox <laughs> at two in the morning when I'm cleaning a bowling alley, right? That's right, my fun right. time. So- I listen to her and she tells the whole story, which, by the way, interestingly enough, starts at the same place the movie does, where she worked for Ray when he worked for Prince Castle selling the, the selling mixers. The, the milkshake thing. The mixers, yeah. And how he met the brothers and all yeah. the way through. Yeah. Do you remember the question you asked? Uh, yes. I, I got up all my nerve, shaking in my janitorial boots. <laughs> yeah. And I went up to her and I said, hi, June. She said, again, so approachable. She said, hi. How, you know, I mean, just so nice. And I said... Can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, uh, could you tell me about it? She looked at me and said, tell you about what? And I said, well, the whole McDonald's thing. And, and that's when she literally put her arm around me and brought me in the kitchen and told me, I mean, literally all day, even had the maiden mutler bringing us food in the kitchen so she could keep telling me the story. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. I'm 16 years old and here, this is. She's got places to go, people to meet. Yeah. And with the 16 year old. And, 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 you know, here's the super, she was an icon of the area. And I'm thinking, this is, I can't believe this thing, right? Like, who's she talking to? She can't be me. And then she told me about Ray and the impact he had. And this was an interesting part. 
she told, and by the way, it's also not a do in the movie. Uh, in the movie, June goes to Ray and says, Ray, we got a small problem. We're out of money. And that causes him to call the brothers and they have a drama mm-hmm. scene. He wants more percentage and right, et cetera, right. right? And he slams down the phone. That event did happen. It just didn't happen that way. And right. she told me the event and she said, we were out of money. So I agreed to work for Ray for no money. And he paid me in worthless, worth less than zero company stock and agreed to take some of the bill collector phone calls if any of my bill collectors called me and wanted money. So I just asked her. I'm sitting there, you know, and I think, I said, June, you know, I'm a janitor. I, I work Friday to Friday, paycheck to paycheck. If I don't get paid on Friday, I'm not showing on Saturday. I need my paycheck. That's, I live paycheck to paycheck. Why did you do it? Yeah. Why did you work for nothing? Todd, she sat back, did this eye lock on me, eyeball to eyeball, and sat back in her chair and just stared at me saying nothing. And I, uh-huh. and, and I, I, I thought, oh, I just, and I just realized, I just asked her a question. No one ever asked her. Everyone wanted to know what happened with McDonald's. No one ever wanted to know why. And I would, apparently this kid just asked her why and she never thought of it before. Yeah, why did I do it? So she's staring at me for about 10 seconds and I mean, dead lock, eyeball to eyeball. And I'm going, do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't even know where to look, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm thinking, you know, I'm hearing Jeopardy music in the background, you know? And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? And then she spoke and it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I remember what she said, the way she said it, and my first thought after, when she, when I asked her, June, why'd you do it? Why'd you work for nothing? You know, I mean, obviously you didn't have any money. He didn't have any money. Why did you keep going? Mm-hmm. And she said, because I believed in Ray. And I remember my first thought was, that's it. I need to find me a Ray Crock. <laughs> that's what I need. It didn't work out too bad for her. I'm cleaning a million dollar mansion and that was a million dollars back then. Mm-hmm. Certainly it didn't work. And and I thought, that's it. I I need to find someone who can put me under the wing like Ray put her under his wing and taught her everything. And I said, I don't even know what I don't know. In fact, the only thing I know is I don't know what it is I don't know. That's it. I mean, that's the only thing I know. And no, there's uh, something out there I don't know. That's what I know. Yeah, that's exactly it. And 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 I kept watching her, even you know, not in a stalking weird way, but I kept watching her, and I, I was thinking, what the heck is so unusual about her? And it dawned on me, she was either it was one of two things. It could only be one of two things. She was either doing something I wasn't doing, or she was thinking something I wasn't thinking. Mm-hmm. That when I got it down to those two things. So I threw it out there and I thought, man, where would I find my Ray Crock? Where would I find it? And then I did ultimately then a phone call came into the janitorial service later on. And my boss sent me over to meet this man <clears throat> who was opening a diamond store in uh, Chicago. From He was from mm-hmm. Michigan. He, it was a branch office he's opening, a branch store. And uh, my boss sent me over to give him an estimate on some carpeting. And one thing led to another, the guy offered me a job. And he became the father I never had, even though I had a father. And I became mm-hmm. the son he never had, even though I had a son. Right. And his name was Sam Robbins. And I was very blessed to have him in my life. He was, in fact, my Ray Kroc. So because uh-huh. of that, I share with your listeners something that I think is a real germane point. First of all, I had the wrong notion about money. And secondly, if you don't have a mentor and you have money challenges, 
in my world, and I'm going to be a little blunt here, mm-hmm. in my world, we call that naive. That's what we call it. And the reason why is there are so many people that want to help people that even are faced with challenges because all of them who have done it, quote unquote, always were faced and had similar stories and challenges. Mm-hmm. So I became a huge advocate for mentoring. And I, and I can share with you, Todd, I've met thousands of educated idiots over my life. And you know, these are the ones that have all the book knowledge. They can yeah. te- you know, they can spew it all back at you. Zero execution, zero implementation skills. Mm-hmm. So find a mentor. If you don't have one, get one. It's one of the best ways if you're in a hole to help get out of a hole is to find someone who also has been in a hole and already got out of one. It's just that simple. And because here's why. It's the difference between a coach and a mentor. A coach can teach you things, you know, like a skill. Maybe you want to learn how to post on LinkedIn. That's a skill. A coach Mm -hmm. can teach you that, right? A mentor is a different relationship. It's much more confidential, much more intimate. It's more of why are you thinking this way instead of the way you're thinking? And my mentor helped put together many of those burnt out wires. And when you have a mentor, first of all, don't be afraid to ask one question. What's that? The question is, can you tell me what you've done? Yeah. Here's why. You want a mentor who's done it because when they have done it, they bring with them all the things that didn't work and that's where the wisdom is. So, so many people, they're just you know afraid to ask that question. And, and so I'm a huge advocate for mentoring. And it's one of the fastest ways, if you're, in, if you're having challenges, if you're debt-ridden, if you have difficulties, those mentors had that same problem you, almost always. In fact, mm-hmm. to that point, <clears throat> I was blessed. I had a radio show. Uh, and in two years' time, I interviewed over 1,000 millionaires mm-hmm. in two years. And they're from all backgrounds, all different experiences. And what was interesting, Todd, is all of them had a story about when they were in debt. All of them, Mm -hmm. all, not some, not part of them, not once in a while, 100% of them Mm -hmm. had a story about when things look so dark and so dismal. In fact, what was interesting is some of them even used the same words when they told me what they did next. You got to remember... These would be all different backgrounds, different experiences, different time periods over two years, didn't know each other, saying the same thing to me because I wanted to find out when I interviewed these thousand millionaires, why them? You know, I, why even today, if you take the average American's life and you add all their income together for their whole life, it's still not quite a million dollars. So why these thousand people? What they do that was so different? It's the formula. Yeah, why, why them and why the mass majority Still not. Right. So I wanted to find those common threads, those commonalities. And the questions where we weren't on the air interviewing was were some of my favorite, you know, my favorite learning experiences, if you will, were the questions I designed just for that person to right. learn. But here's the story they had, Todd. And this can help your listeners. All of them had a time, a time in their life where everything told them to stop. Politics, their family, their relatives, the bankers, the economic conditions, over and over, whatever the reasons, all of them had a time where it seemed like everything had turned against them and told and was telling them to stop. Mm-hmm. And some of them even weirdly almost used the same words when they said the next thing. 
They said, do you know, some of them said this, they said, do you know I actually took the next step to see if I missed anything that could go wrong because I was curious. It was like a morbid fascination. Did I miss anything? I had to have hit everything. There's nothing else that could possibly go wrong. Do anything more that was that was worse than where they were at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, And they said, and then what happened was for some reason, temporary defeat just left. And they said it was almost like it just said, you know, this person doesn't know when to give up. So I'm just going to go screw up someone else's life because this person obviously is not giving up. <laughs> and, and they said, and things started working out. Things started coming together. Some of them said, even in spite of them, things started coming together. So I share with your listeners, number one, get a mentor. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do it. Number two, know that. The people that have become very, very successful, the people that have become what we call millionaires and plus, all, all of them have had that time when they were in debt. They've all had that time where it seemed like the hole was so deep that all you could see was the sides of the hole, you know, and, and, and they took the next step. They persisted and they surrounded themselves with the right kind of people and things then started to work out. And, uh, and, and what's, what was amazing, Todd, is they all had this story. It was yeah. extraordinary. So my mentor shared with me, and I like to share, you know, just in the interest of time, one, one germane story about, you know, uh, uh, that my mentor shared with me about his life when he didn't have any money and what he did about it. Right. Um, cause I think it, it, it'll really sort of create a yeah, perspective please, for some please. of your listeners. My mentor told me his name was Sam Robbins and he told me what it was like to grow up in the Great Depression. And he said, you know, it was very desperate times. And he Mm -hmm. said, people were jumping off of buildings because they had lost their fortunes. He said there was multi-mile long soup kitchen lines, literally standing in line for more than one mile to get only a bowl of soup. He said it was desperate. He said some of our meals, he said some of our family meals, we ate cardboard. Mm. So he said, one day he said, no one was hiring. He said, everyone was walking around in like a zombified kind of state. Right. And he said, uh, he walked by this one store and saw a guy standing in the back by himself. So he, my mentor, he said, he just walked in just to have a conversation, sort of burning the clock kind of thing. Right. And, uh, it turns out the owner, the guy in the back of the store was the owner of the store. It was a sewing machine store. It was filled with sewing machines. And clearly they were all collecting dust. And the yeah. owner said, yeah, I said, uh, no one's buying sewing machines. They want food right now. He said, right. you know, so he said, you know, I paid for all of these things. They're all sitting there. He said, I opened up the store just to keep an eye on the sewing machines. He said, that's really it right now. And he said, I let all my employees go. I couldn't afford them anymore. Mm. So my mentor had this flash in his mind. And he told the guy, he said, well, how about if I helped you sell some of these? <laughs> and the guy said, well, what do, you, what do you have in mind? He said, well, certainly people can't afford to buy a sewing machine right now. They need food. He said, but how about if, they bought them on payments and he said, I'll help you set it up and I'll guarantee any sewing machines if anyone walks. And he said, and maybe I can help you sell it to uh, one or two. And the guy said, man, none are leaving right now. He said, so go do it. I mean, if you can get, if you can sell one sewing machine, that's one more that's being sold right, right. now. Right. The next thing my mentor did was genius. He put together a flyer and the flyer said, women to work from home. Uh-huh. He told me he never ever fully caught up with the response. And he set up a way where women could work from their home. He'd sell them a sewing machine on payments. 
He would give them the patterns to sew with. He would give them the material to make the clothing with. And he guaranteed he would buy the clothing from them, guaranteeing their income, thus meaning they could make the payments on a sewing machine and have an income as well, which everyone desperately needed for food and shelter, etc. Yeah. He wasn't done then. Then when he bought that clothing from the women working from home, he sold it to stores as high quality, handmade, deep, deep discounted clothing that mm-hmm. every all customers needed because they all wanted high quality that would last as long as possible yeah. and at the very cheapest price. In 18 months, Todd, in 18 months. During, the, are, during the depression. People are jumping off of buildings, multi-mile long soup kitchen lines. In 18 months, he earned $1 million. Hmm. So I can share with your listeners, you think you do have challenges and you may, but what's your excuse? Because here's a man that lived on cardboard. You want to talk about, and here's what my mentor then followed up the story and the reason for telling me the story that I can share with your listeners. He said, number one, he said, I went through and he said, I stopped thinking about how bad it was for me and going wah, wah, wah. And he said, and I started thinking about the sewing machine owner. And I thought, how can I solve his problem? Mm -hmm. And then he said, then I started thinking of all these people that needed work. And I thought, how can I solve this problem? And then he thought about the stores and he thought about the customers. He said, I just went down the line and forgot about me and started solving everyone else's problem. And guess what? It came together. So he said the following to me, which was quite shocking when he first said it. He said, you know, in your life, you'll never have money problems. And I said, what? And he said, I'm telling you, you'll never have money problems. He said, you'll have idea problems but you won't have money problems. He said, and there's a huge difference because every solution, no matter how far down you think you are, every solution, every enterprise, every business, every great enterprise, always started at one place, in the mind of one person Mm -hmm. with an idea. That's where it's always started. He said, so, when things in your life get lean, and I've had times you know, where money came in and out in huge sums, fortunes coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. When the, and he told me those things would happen. He said, you're going to get tackled a thousand times in your lifetime. Get ready for it. Yeah. He said, but here's what happens. Keep in your mind, even in those lean moments, you don't have money problems as much as you do have idea problems. He said, and look for those ideas. And he said, everyone always wants to have the answer. Here's the answer. Here's it. Backwards. He said, that's backwards living. He said, don't worry about the answers. The answers are omnipresent. They're always around us. They always will be around us. They'll always be there. The answers are always there. He Hmm. said, focus on asking the right questions. He said, you ask the right question, you'll get the right answer, and your challenge in life is going to get solved. He said, most people go through life asking the wrong questions and then they're surprised when they get the wrong answers when it's nothing more than the answer they asked for right he said so don't worry about the answers focus on working on asking the right questions no matter what's in front of you whatever the task whatever the obligation whatever the goal whatever the objective fine-tune and keep fine-tuning that question. And he said, you know, inadvertently, whether you know it or not, he said, you asked the right question when you threw it out there and you said, where would I find my right crock? Yeah. 
He said, you asked the right question. He said, you didn't say, I'm never going to find my Ray Kroc. It's all worse. It's all bad. It'll never work out. They said, it was just that. You you, you assumed you were going to find them. You're just wondering, where would you find where? them? Where? Now, let, let, me ask, let me ask that question, a uh, follow-up question to that. So, um, and I appreciate the, what, what you've shared. Do you, then you feel that uh, uh, some people think that they have to, that they're going to stumble upon a mentor. Do you, do you feel people already stumble upon mentors and let the opportunity pass because they're not asking the right, that right question? I would, I have to go with C, <laughs> both, <laughs> you know, because they, again, they're not asking the right question. So they don't realize the person in front of them is the person they're seeking and looking for. Uh, and then they don't ask that person, you know, and, and what's interesting is I think June, going all the way back to the June Martino thing, I think June sensed when I asked her about the whole McDonald's thing, mm -hmm. I think she sensed that I wasn't schmoozing June Martino to get close to the icon of, you know, one of the right. icons of the area. I think she knew, I really wanted to know what yeah. happened. You know, it was intriguing. I think she sensed that. And a mentor will know that, you know, if you look at a mentor as a person, I'm going to meet this person to solve all my problems. That's not the that's not the way to go at it, right? And they're going to know the difference. They're know you're just trying to figure out what you can get out of them. But w there are so many of them that can sense when you really want to know the truth of it, yeah. and you really personally want to grow, and you really personally want to better your best. They sense it. They'll know because they've been around the corner. They have the scars on their shins, and they know. Yeah. How now you've. That leads me into, I, I, we, we want to, um, coming down to the end of our uh, time to, together today, you have developed and taught uh, the, the Givers University and the concept of that, that uh, people are, can be givers or takers. How, now describe who you've been talking about. How are they givers? Good question. Um, at, and it's really how the Givers University came about. At 19 years old, I asked Sam Robbins, my mentor, I said, will you teach it all to me? All of mm -hmm. it, teach it all, right? This is to my mentor. And he said, I will. He said, but I want one thing from you. Mm -hmm. When the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as you possibly can everything that I teach you. Mm -hmm. So at 19 years old, Dad, I made a vow. I made an oath. And I added with what he taught me, the things I gleaned from the thousand interviews from millionaires. And that became our, what's in Givers University, we have a course, it's called Give to Be Great. Um, it's a series of three courses and it's online, online courses. And we, we actually teach people in one word, discernment. And to sort of give a little distinction between giver and taker and what we mean when we train on that. We, first of all, I say to your listeners, we love everybody. I say mm -hmm. it again. We love everybody right. and we teach people the skill of discernment. Another way of saying that is we teach people how to separate the person who we love from their deeds, which we may not love. Mm -hmm. And by watching their deeds, not what they say, because people can learn the right things to say and they can tickle your ears. But as we say at Givers University, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. <laughs> simply, simply stated, watch what they're doing. 
watch their deeds. And we actually have checklists we give people. I mean, we broke it down so granular. That, I mean, here's, and we have one that's called the 25 do's. It actually has the 25 deeds to watch people doing. You can print it off on the left side, make check marks, right side, make check marks, total on the bottom, and you're already headed in the right direction. Yeah. Here's why that's important. When we can begin discerning, Watching what people are doing, because it's a skill. It's an awareness and observation skill not being taught anywhere. When we watch what they're doing, now we can begin to decide, should I bring them closer into my life? Because givers bring with them the three W's of wisdom, wealth, and wellness. Mm -hmm. Or because of what I see them do, should I begin to respectfully, not rude or nasty, should I begin to respectfully distance myself from them? Because if I bring them into my life, they're going to be making me collateral damage. And I ask your listeners, think about the fires you stomp out every day. Think about when your stress level goes up. You know what they have in common? There's a name attached. There's a name attached to them. And if we can learn to discern, who should I bring closer in my life? And who should I respectfully distance myself from? Our productivity goes up dramatically because we're not stomping out fires not of our making. Our stress level goes down, so we're more productive. We're happier and we're more in problem-solving mode as opposed to having the wrong people around us because takers bring with them the three Ds of takers. And those three Ds are defeatism, disruption, and destruction. And mm-hmm. those are the things happen when someone's in debt. Those are the, And so many times we don't realize how the people around us are having such a huge, profound impact on us with businesses opening and closing faster than ever before, products being antiquated overnight. Mm -hmm. What do we have left, Todd? Our relationships. And no one's teaching us, how do I have the right people around me so I can be out of debt? How can I have the right people around me so I can build a business that's great? And how do I assemble that group? And we teach people how to build that giver community around themselves. And if somebody's listening to this, and if they're being honest with themselves, um, some of us will say, hey, you know what? I think I'm a taker. <laughs> I don't know. You know, podcaster, podcast listeners tend to be those who are trying to, you know, make some improvements in their lives. So that may not be the case. But can takers become givers? For sure. Is it the questions that they're asking? Going back to that question? For sure. And, and actually what's interesting is that when people download the checklist, like the 25 do's, which are free, we give it away, right? Mm-hmm. We, we want people, we know the value in it. There's a self-assessment part built in it automatically. So when they're looking through the 25 deeds or 25 do's as we call them, and they're looking, oh boy, number 13, I need to, I'm off the rails on that one. I need to seriously look at that. Yeah. We actually teach them in our courses, the third course specifically, the Giver's Lifelong Learning how to do what's called a data reset. It's an acronym, D-A-T-A, declare and turn around, Mm D-A-T-A. And we teach them a methodology that if they have been or are, let's say, a little bit too Mm takerish. Takerish, I like that that, word. (laughs) Yeah, that that they can become more giverish. And, And if some of your listeners, if maybe they have someone in their family that they love and they say, man, I just got to someone who's, Someone needs to have this conversation with this person. They are definitely being too takerish. And mm-hmm. but you love them. You don't. You know, how are you going to say it? How are you going to broach it with them? You, you don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. You know, one of the best things you can do is share Todd Christensen's podcast with them. Mm-hmm. The reason is because it's a third party. You can simply say, you know, I heard this great podcast. This interviewer Todd. He does a great interview, and it was it was a really thought provoking interview. 
Listen and tell me what you think about it. And you never know how their mind may open by using a third party to help broach the subject, even with family members, because everything we teach works in business, social, and family. I, I, I appreciate that very concrete example of a giver it, right there. I, I see that and uh, recognize that, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, uh, EA, um, I've, I've, I'm really enjoying our conversation, and uh, I'm so excited to learn more about Givers University. Um, I'm going to definitely put this information in, in the, uh, the show notes, and please, uh, listeners, do go to that uh, website and, and check out that uh, checklist, the data, uh, data, re- what did you say, data restart? Well, the, no, the, uh, well, the checklist they're going to get is the 25 deeds, the 25, 25 deeds. And, uh, and by the way, when they sign up for our newsletter at our website, giversuniversity.com, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to get an email immediately that says, do you want to talk to Givers University? We are not spammers. So if they don't respond to that email saying yes, they get no further communication from us. That's it. So they have to respond. Then two hours later, they'll get that checklist that they can download called the 25 dues. Print it off. Put it in your pocket. Begin to discern. And keep in mind, when we say giver, we're not labeling a person. We don't label people. We're identifying giver deeds. When we say taker, we're identifying taker deeds. There's a big difference. Take so, give yep, Exactly. So <laughs> sign up for the newsletter. Enjoy it. It's absolutely free. It's there for everyone. Cool. So, uh, EA, do you have uh, do you have any other specific uh, particular piece of advice, personal finance, uh, uh, mindset, anything that you would share with our listeners today before we uh, approach the end here? For sure. And if someone is having challenges financially. If they're in debt and they want to get out, if they want to grow larger and be more prosperous, my mentor taught me over four decades ago to say three phrases to myself every day. Hmm. He said, because in your life, you're going to get tackled a thousand times. He said, get ready for it. It's going to happen. He said, you don't drown by falling in the water. You drown by staying there. Get Hmm. out of the water. He said, so I'm going to teach you three phrases. That's what he told me. So I'm going to teach it and I want you to commit to saying these every day to yourself because as fortunes come and go, when you get tackled and you stand back up, he said, these three phrases will help you in the good times and the challenging times. Learn them and say them. And for over 40 years, I have said these three phrases every day Hmm. and I share them with your listeners and they are as follows. I will never give up. I will keep rising up and I will always overcome. Nice. You, can you repeat those? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll include those in the show notes, absolutely. I will never give up. I will keep rising up. And I will always overcome. Amen. Love it. All right, EA, how can, how can uh, we talked about Givers University. What's the actual URL again? Uh, GiversUniversity.com. All right. Is there, where else uh, can uh, listeners reach out and uh, connect with you? I tell you, well, actually there, they'll learn about our courses and everything. We, we have one newsletter that goes out every Thursday morning. It's the only email. We don't blow up someone's mailbox. I hate that. You know, you subscribe and <laughs> you're getting 20 emails a day from, right? Every right. Thursday, we send out one email a week. It's a five minute read. It's called the Givers Toolbox. And we give all of the, those that are on our list a uh, 
a new tool that they can add to their subscription, I should say to their toolbox as a result of subscribing. And it's absolutely free. The second thing that I want to share real quick, just as a side note, go to our YouTube channel. It's one word, Givers University. Go to YouTube, just type in Givers University, go to the top playlist. The top playlist is how to build your own giver community. It's totally free. Obviously it's on YouTube. It's two, it's 21 two minute clips. The very first clip is What's the difference between a giver community and a taker community when you want to form those people around you? And we go, and literally it's 21 two-minute clips walking you through step by step by step. How do you form that mastermind group? What do you do? Napoleon Hill does an excellent job of explaining what it is, but he doesn't say how to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and we explain how to do it step by step, even the agenda of what you should do when you have a group of people that you're getting together and you all want to help each other. So that's on our YouTube channel. Check that out. It's 100% free. Use it. Excellent. I, I appreciate uh, all that. Yeah, you, you've given kind of form uh to some thoughts that I've had for a long time and, and I appreciate the way you've expressed that and shared and, and uh, really look forward to learning more. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for having me on your great show. It's, it's been awesome having you here. I appreciate you. Uh, to my listeners, uh, I'm going to say thank you for joining us and do uh, please check out uh, the information in our show notes, connect with EA and, uh, and his organization and with uh, the uh, giverish people in your life. Uh, please uh, check out the podcast archives at moneyfit.org slash podcast. Do subscribe to this uh, podcast. It, it helps us grow our visibility so others can find it, uh, find us more easily and benefit as well. That's one way you can be a giver right there. I appreciate that. And until next time, I will say stay money fit and stay well. Stay well.